is still out there. Diablos. Diablos. Nisera. Latalos. Absaros. Absaros. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Monster Hunter. The ancients would guard their technology with the most fearsome of creatures, a Rathalus. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. This isn't right, none of it. Hosted by Arnie. To kill a monster, you need a monster. Justin. I'm not your enemy. And Stuart. Shit, there's more of them! This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Let's just try to live through this first. Listener discretion is advised. All right, ladies, saddle up. Today, we're watching Monster Hunter, starring Mila Jovovich, Tony Jaa, and Ron Perlman, directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and this shit is officially below my pay grade. Let's do this. It's Stuart. And this is Justin. Welcome back, gamers, for a review of a new movie came out theatrically late last year. They made us wait three months in order to watch this where theaters weren't open. They certainly aren't open where Stuart and I live, but now we get to play catch up with Monster Hunter. Have either of you heard of the game? No. Nope. Me either. So this is fun. <laughs> yeah. I know that it came out in 2004, so it's relatively old. Like, coming up on its 20th anniversary here, like, I, what impact has it had? I usually feel I at least know the names of the big games out there, even though I haven't played video games in decades. Yeah, 2004, you could have told me this is a Facebook game, like, you know, Beat Farmer <laughs> or something. This is a huge game series in Japan. Mm. And to hear Paul W.S. Anderson tell it, he was over in Japan a lot in the aughts, making the Resident Evil, working with Capcom, who made the Resident Evil games. Capcom also makes Monster Hunter. Okay. And if Anderson and his wife are to be believed, he became addicted to Monster Hunter and has in around 2010 and bought the rights to the movie from Capcom. And this has been a passion project because he liked the games so much. But it really, unless you're Japanese, you wouldn't really know about this until really recently. Monster Hunter World is the first game, and that's in 2018, to make a splash here in the West. The, some of the old ones are even hard to get in the United States. Like, the original Monster Hunter wasn't released in the United States. I was able to get it as Monster Hunter Freedom for my PlayStation Portable and play their very first Monster Hunter on that. But World is where it blew up. And, you know, I knew nothing about this game going in. I put it in my PlayStation Portable. It could have been an adventure game. It could have been a first-person shooter. I was kind of expecting maybe, like, a, a Laura Croft or something. What I didn't expect it to be was Big Game Hunter Medieval Edition. <laughs> if you guys know Big Game Hunter, that's the deer hunting game where you go out and spread the scent. Yeah, <laughs> looking down a scope. Okay, <laughs> I thought that's what you were referencing. 
Okay, so you're just shooting big things in the screen? Here was Capcom's thoughts. They developed this initially for the PlayStation 2, which was the first time consoles, or at least PlayStation consoles, had the ability to go online and have multiplayer. Computers had done this since the mid-90s, and so we had things like Diablo and Doom and all these games for the PC that you could play multiplayer. Capcom was like, okay, we need a game for the PlayStation 2 that's going to be a multiplayer game. And so they developed this Monster Hunter where the entire point of the game is to get your friends together and go out and kill monsters. There is no way to win this game. It's not that kind of a game. It's you kill monsters and then you literally harvest their bodies either for meat or for parts that can be used to make weapons. Go back to town. You go to a weaponsmith, upgrade your weapons. If you fight too long, your weapons get dull. You need to sharpen your weapons. And then you go back out and kill more monsters. Wash, rinse, repeat. Okay, I'm imagining Ted Nugent really loving this. So this is just really about taking the love of hunting animals and upping the stakes by making these animals be supernatural creatures. Yes, it's a little bit steampunk. It's mostly like a medieval place. You're in a village that is mostly wooden cabins. Mostly you're fighting with swords or bows and arrows, though there are a few guns around too. And what you're fighting pretty much look all like dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. You know, they had something called a raptor. It wasn't a velociraptor, but it was very closely named to a raptor and just big dinosaurs. And I'm the first to admit this is probably a really fun game, but it's not the type of game I enjoy. For example, Animal Crossing. I played Animal Crossing a lot last year, as did most people. And I got to a certain point where I went to Reddit and I'm like, Okay, how do I advance? And they're like, what do you mean advance? I'm like, well, I have the biggest house they'll sell me. I got a big garden. I've got all these resources. How do I level up? They're like, it's not that kind of game. Well, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think I'm done with Animal Crossing. I was the same way with Monster Hunter. There was only so many times I could go out and... I was so weak early on in these games, all I could do was basically kill the equivalent of cows. <laughs> they were just these grass-eating, slow-moving dinosaurs that I would go up and hack at and feel bad for doing so. Yeah, that wouldn't be cool at all. <laughs> I would feel really, yeah, guilty, really, that I... Here's, yes. a, here's a bag of kittens. Try to kill it. <laughs> They're monster kittens. Don't feel bad at all. <laughs> so I'm going up to these poor, peaceful cows and just, I have this dull-ass sword and I'm whacking at them like 40 times before they finally cry and fall over. <laughs> this sounds great. Good lord. <laughs> Animal abuse. All right. I like it. But then you do get missions where like, it's like, go out there and kill these specific animals and we'll give you some money that you can use to upgrade your weapons. And, you know, you can play it single player. I remember playing a lot of Diablo back in the 90s with my friends in the early 2000s. Diablo, Diablo 2. And it was similar. That was a dungeon crawl game versus this, which is more of a hack and slash. The difference being primarily the loot you pick up in dungeons and that you have different classes. Whereas here, everyone's a hunter. You're not a magic user. You're not a archer versus a swordsman. You're just, you're a hunter and you pick up armor to protect yourself as you rip the hide off of beasts to wear on yourself. And 
they've kept that formula. They've greatly improved the graphics. I did play some of Monster Hunter World. You know, it's much, much, much better looking. It's a gorgeous game. They've added some monsters. They've added more weapons. They've added more ways to level up and get better weapons. But, you know, in 19 years of gaming, they found something that worked for them and stuck to it. It's go out there and kill some monsters. It is more fun to fight monsters that fight back, but I never got good enough to actually win one of those fights. (laughs) I just take down defenseless monster animals. Okay, cool. But understand how big this is. This is Capcom's second biggest selling franchise. The only one bigger is Resident Evil. And Monster Hunter World sold 17 million copies outselling any Resident Evil game. What is the thinking on that? Like, why would this be popular, particularly in Japan? What would draw people to that experience? Like, I get going through a haunted house and shooting zombies and and battling your way through, you know, conspiracy and what have you. There's a storyline and it's kind of scary. Is this scary? Is it? No, no. It's imagine going to Jurassic Park with a sword. I mean, yeah, (laughs) you're not describing an experience that feels well, it sounds like hunting itself where you're like you're sitting around cold waiting for something to come (laughs) along and and wanting to be home or at least that's that's how i experience it (laughs) no you run out and you know you unlike real hunting where you have to stay quiet and you know hide for a long time and put out urine here it's you run around and they're out there for you to find you know you don't have to work too hard i think it's part of the community aspect you know while Gen Xers have grown up to be a generation that held on to video games and continue to play, although certainly not in the numbers that we played when we were younger. In Japan, gaming is a way of life, and you start taking the portable systems into account as well as transit, and you could just see groups of people gathering in coffee shops or gathering on a a subway or train and saying, let's team up and kill some dinosaurs. I think that's part of it, and it's just... It's a type of game mechanic that really appealed to some people. The whole, I'm going to spend hours and hours, I'm going to level up, I'm going to get better swords, I'm going to go out and do some more low missions. I mean, I spent so much time farming, I can't even begin. I was farming and picking up berries and bugs Mm -mm. and chipping away at rocks to get elements because I wasn't good enough to kill a monster yet. You're describing everything I don't want to do in a video game. If I'm picking berries, I'm also picking a new game. I mean, just on the surface, though, from a game standpoint, I would rather out there be out there hunting mystical creatures and big dinosaurs than I would ever want to fake kill a deer or a bear or something. So I, I can see the allure from that angle. Yeah, I mean, and it's far less gruesome to take your knife and dig some dinosaur meat out than to kill a deer and then gut it on screen <laughs> be like i got it some horns make me some uh, helmet yeah all of this is a little bit macabre i'm the other aspect i'm wondering is particularly since it's going to be adapted into a movie with well-known actors and musicians what opportunity is there to show off who you are are you playing characters or can you pimp out your hunter in a way that makes them feel distinct and cool Yeah, it's absolutely, even the very first game, early on, you had a lot of choices for your character. You could choose hair color, body type, body color, gender, and then as you got different armor and different hats, helmets, and weapons, your character was outfitted. One icon of this game 
is crazy sized weapons. Like swords three times as big as your character. Mm -hmm. But it's a role playing game where you create a character and you go into this new world filled with monsters and just kill or capture or trap big creatures so that they can be used. But what I would say is that while there's quests, there's no story here. Mm. Resident Evil as a game, you're like, this is a fun story. There's a scientist who's created zombies and some stars cops are in a building. You just see a movie there. Monster Hunter I mean, imagine making a movie of The Sims. I mean, The Sims, you just, you get a job and live your life. That would, you know, how would you exactly make that a movie? I think the closest you could do is maybe Truman Show it, where they find out they're being controlled. But it's so open world. My question was, how do you take a game that has no characters and make it a movie. You don't have a Laura Croft to bring in here. But it's got a Mila Jovovich, and the thing I knew about this, the only, I don't, you know, I, I knew it was a video game because I knew we were adding it to this retrospective, but my association was that this was her trying to find a new franchise post-Resident Evil and reteaming with her husband to kind of do what they did in that horror genre in something that may feel more like Jurassic Park. I knew it was big-ass monsters coming out of the ground, and Starship Troopers, Jurassic Park. The visuals were giving me the sense that it was a special effects army movie. I mean, from a game standpoint into a movie standpoint, that's good enough for a backdrop, you know? Instead of going to Jurassic Park and running away from these dinosaurs that have run amok, now you're going to face them and try to kill them. So, hey, that's, that's good background. Can you write a plot around that? I'm, I'm not sure. What I find interesting and was a little worrisome to me, though, is that, yeah, we mentioned this movie was released during COVID. And I'm like, well, did COVID impact the shooting? You know, I always wonder that. We talked about it when we reviewed The Stand, for example. This thing has sat on a shelf for three years. Mm, whoa. It finished shooting in December 2018. And 2018 is when Monster Hunter World came out. And so I was like, well... Obviously, World was big, but not so big that they could have, you know, that game came out in January. This movie started filming in October. Did that game really kick it off? And were they holding off for Monster Hunter Rise? Which is, I mean, in now in America, this is a huge release. It just came out. When we're recording this, it's not quite yet out. But it's a big game if they're releasing special Nintendo Switches and consoles that are color-themed for Monster Hunter and have special Monster Hunter packages. They only do that for the A-tier games. So did they hold on to this to build on the game hype? Or did they just, like, have no confidence in this movie and finally... It was supposed to come out in September 2020, and finally just like, ah, crap, let's take one loss on the books before the end of the calendar year for the taxes. Let's shit this out in December. Yeah, it was one of, you can fill in the blank. It's the only movie blank enough to come out in December. Crazy, brave, confident. Uh, Bad. Yes, terrible. <laughs> uh, lots of things that I can imagine why they would just kind of chunk it out at a, at a time of extreme risk where every studio was debating what w they stood to lose by putting something in theaters. Uh, yeah, this was one of the few movies to come out at Christmas time. I didn't really want to go to a movie theater for any movie at that time. It seemed wise to wait, given that this was, again, the team that gave us 
us, what, at their best, a Resident Evil movie. Like, I just, I didn't have a lot of confidence that it was going to be exceptional, but I thought that they're consistent in, in their product. I thought that this is within, when Paul W.S. Anderson wants to make a movie about Joan of Arc, run for the hills. When Paul W.S. Anderson <laughs> wants to make a movie about hunting giant monsters, okay, there's probably some popcorn fun in that. I, I came to this film neither dreading it nor expecting much. My feeling is Warner Brothers is like, Wonder Woman, let's put that on HBO Max because people just don't feel like going to theaters. Monster Hunter, that'll bring the audience. <laughs> this wasn't cheap. They spent $60 million on this. Well, but that is pretty cheap considering a top-tier blockbuster would be three times that. You know, Wonder Woman would easily break $200 million. So this is a fraction of that. It sounds to me like it was made for the Asian market. It sounds to me like they released it, I believe, in China in a much bigger way earlier. And I vaguely remember there was some kind of controversy that something offended people and they had to cut it out of the movie. Yeah, there was a there was an off-color, somewhat racist joke in the movie that they end up having to cut. Yeah, it wasn't even, it didn't even make sense. No. But yes, there was a, a reference to Chinese people made by an Asian that China considered offensive, and they cut it out, but it didn't really help. Listen, worldwide, this movie's made $30 million on a $60 million budget. Oh, Okay. My question was, it probably did what it was going to do in China and America was not going to save it. It didn't play. You're saying this movie has bombed in the country where the game has been a hit for over 15 years. Well, China and Japan are two different countries. It's The game's big in Japan. Oh, Japan only. I, when you say Japan, I thought Asia in general. No, specifically Japan, okay. where Sony lives. But... It hasn't been released in Japan as of this recording. It's going to be released almost the exact same day as the new game when it comes out in Japan. So I think maybe the studio's crossing their fingers, holding their breath, and like, come on, Japan, do for this movie what you've done for the games. Let's make it a hit. They spent millions on advertisement, too. So make their budget back. I think they'd need to get 90 million out of Japan. I don't know that... A movie does that. No, yeah, they don't have the strength at the box office on a good year, not much less a COVID year, to be able to produce that kind of money. Yeah, but if you, I mean, if you have a movie to dump that you know has been sitting on a shelf for a while, it is questionable on whether or not to release it into theaters at any given time. But like, at least now during COVID times, it, it's somewhat of a decent gamble. You know, like if you're one of three movies that is playing, if there are people going to theaters, and you've got a pretty good shot that people are going to end up in that theater. My thing about this movie is that it has no buzz. If it wasn't a video game movie that we were covering, I would have seen it on iTunes because there's very few new releases under the movies anymore. And so I would have seen it and seen Mila Jovovich and been like, oh, I don't need to watch that. But it's not like this has been advertised or anything because... Right now, your theatrical box office does not define a hit or a miss. It's based on home revenue more than anything. So is this getting rented? I've heard nobody talk of this movie. Nobody I know has seen this movie. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad that we're promoting it then. <laughs> I think they might have screwed up on their advertising budget, because I feel like they were doing some pretty heavy Facebook advertising in that original space when it was supposed to come out in September and then just kind of let it die and wasn't sure that it even came out in December. And now here it is on home. 
Yeah, I had some awareness of it. And it was because there were trailers or things popping up in my feed that let me know. Now, maybe it was because I have a schedule of now playing movies and it could read that I was following Monster Hunter. I don't know. But one thing that I <laughs> thought was encouraging among all of this, when, when I looked at this movie, yes, it is made by the team of Resident Evil. Yes, it's being put out by Screen Gems and Sony Pictures. But also in the credits here... Toho Studios, home of Godzilla. You know, we just got done covering Godzilla King of Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong. Same studio here. So that gives it a little bit of kaiju credence, as it were. I actually felt a little bit more excited that uh, a studio known for good giant monsters was going to put their stamp. Listen, for all the shit that you can heap on Paul W.S. Anderson, he's made one of the best video game adaptation movies ever. Mm, which says more about how difficult it is to make a video game adaptation movie than it is to say what great skill he had. But we're in that same realm. I had hope, you know? Yeah. I think the first Resident Evil... And the first Mortal Kombat and uh, Detective Pikachu are like the top three, and maybe Sonic too. Yeah, it's really shocking when you name the, when you list the heroes how paltry the whole endeavor really is. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing this? I don't know. It's a movie that nobody wants to hear about or is talking about. So Arnie, give them the plots, and we can tell them why they shouldn't see Monster Hunter. When a group of United States troops go missing in a totally generic desert, because that's where the U.S. fights all our wars. It's not even the U.S., it's the U.N. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's a U.S. team, but then a U.N. security team is sent to find them. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> this rescue team is filled with faces you might recognize from bit parts and other things, but the only one who matters is their leader, Artemis, played by Mila Jovovich. Because, you know, in my generation, Artemis was a huge girl's name. I can't count the number of Artemises I went to school with. <laughs> the team find the lost troops' destroyed vehicles, but then get caught in a lightning storm that transports them to a parallel dimension filled with CGI monsters. One of the monsters, a Diablos, kills some of the squad, and the rest are finished off by cave drilling, and the rest are finished off by cave dwelling near Silas. Only Artemis survives these two attacks. She encounters a native of this dimension, known only as the Hunter, played by Tony Ja. The Hunter doesn't speak English, but he and Artemis are able to pantomime their way to Artemis figuring out she must cross the desert and reach a tower that has a portal to return her to our Earth. Isn't that what you want from all buddy movies? Pantomiming. Wouldn't Lethal Weapon be better <laughs> if they don't speak to each other, but just do charades? It's like see no evil, hear no evil with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Brilliant. Keep going. To cross the desert means killing the Diablos, so the hunter trains Artemis to use comedically oversized swords, which they barely use, instead setting a trap so they can poison the Diablos. And they do kill Diablos, but the hunter is hurt, so Artemis makes a gurney on which she drags the hunter across the desert towards the tower. When the other creatures threaten Artemis and the hunter, another group of hunters appear, led by the Admiral, played by Ron Perlman. With these new hunters' help, Artemis makes it to the tower and back to our Earth, but a Rathalos follows her through the portal. The hunter comes to our Earth, and Artemis and the hunter together kill the Rathalos. And then Artemis goes back to the monster realm with the hunter, vowing to protect Earth from these monsters as credits roll. And as they start... 
again, I had high hopes for this movie, Resident Evil, and then the score kicks in. Paul Haslinger, he used to be in Tangerine Dream, who made some really good movie scores. And here, I'm like, this sounds like Tron Legacy. Yes. And, and that's not a bad thing. No, exactly. I, I wrote that down, too. It's like, whoever's doing this, you know, got kicked out of Daft Punk before they broke up and is now doing a score for Monster Hunter. Not only that, but we start with kind of a delirious, delightful image of, like, a three-mast ship sailing through sand. It, it feels worthy of a Terry Gilliam movie. <laughs> and we get a quote attributed to no one that, quote, quote it is entirely possible that behind the perception of our senses, new worlds are hidden of which we are totally unaware. I mean, yeah, I guess it's possible. I believe that was the Breakfast Club quote. <laughs> I mean, yes, we. I think, Stuart, you and I had the discussion. Aliens could be on Earth, but be beyond what we can even perceive mm -hmm. in the light spectrum or speed or what have you. So, yes, that's possible. Is that what happens here? Maybe. Does it really matter? Maybe. Yeah, that is my... Well, I guess I have a few questions. But are we to understand that this is Earth? Is it the same desert, but in a different filter? in a different skew of reality, I guess it doesn't matter. I guess you're right. Well, it's, it, we'll, we'll never get the answer to that. But I think we are to understand that even though we look out our window and see boring everyday life, in truth, there are monsters erupting from the pavement and coming down from the sky. We just are lucky enough not to be able to uh, be seen or to see them in our dimensional phylum. That you're literally describing the movie from beyond. Yeah, no, I know. It's a, it's a good premise, or it can be used effectively here. But it, mostly it's just sort of half-assed. I don't know who this crew is. Are they going to the lightning rod tower that's in the distance? Uh, we have Captain Ron Perlman moving pieces around a diorama like he wants to harness the energy coming off of it. But I will never know what anyone on this boat of sand uh, wants to do with their life. No, that, that beginning is so quick. You almost forget about it by the time we, we get into the main story. But yeah, I mean, halfway through the movie, it's like, wasn't Ron Perlman in the beginning of this movie? It's like, mm -hmm. what happened to that? <laughs> and when he shows up, I have more questions. But yeah, it really feels like we should be able to look upon this moment at some point and go, ah, that's what they were up to. Yeah, and he is a character, the Admiral, from Monster Hunter World, the game that, again, came out the year this movie was filmed, and looks a lot like Ron Perlman in this bad wig. I mean, it's a, a good likeness, and he's just kind of an NPC that talks to the Hunter a little bit in that game. I didn't get deep into World enough to interact, but... That is who he's playing, but there is water in the games. We're not stuck in one desert, so I don't know why they'd have a, a desert traveling boat in the game Monster Hunter here. Like you said, it's a kooky visual that I don't know where they're going or why they're going there. Sailing on sand and animals and creatures that can breach out of sand and dive back in like it's water is just, it's a weird conceit that just never sits well with me. Because it's like, if you want to be doing that, just be in water. A creature cannot, I mean, yes, moles can burrow underground, but they can't just jump out and like fly right back into the ground. I mean, there's physics involved here and that always bothers me. 
Well, I think you're going to have bigger problems in physics, <laughs> but uh, just a guess. But we get our first action scene up front. I think if the if the scene has any purpose at all, it's to tell you that these monsters are are big and they take down this ship rather handily. And we have our main character, or one of them, Tony Jaa, the star of a Thai martial arts movie, Ong Bak. That I've, of course, never seen. You guys know Tony? I looked him up. I've not seen anything he's been in other than where he was like a stunt performer. He's not strong in speaking English. He's big in Thai films, but you wouldn't know him here. You you wouldn't know him in the States, much like you wouldn't know this game. Okay, yeah. He's knocked off this boat. I don't know what that means because I don't know where they were going and whether anyone else on the boat even liked him. But it sets him up as a a lone survivor in the wilderness and someone to befriend our other hero once she gets pulled into this alternative reality of monsters. I'm talking, of course, about Natalie Artemis, Mila Jovovich going on some kind of lookout for a Bravo team. And the people with her... I'm surprised how little they matter. I mean, these are actors who I've seen. They're mostly singers. T.I. Harris, he's been in the news lately. Not for good things. I mean, he's a rapper, singer. I mean... There's some legal troubles that got him fired from Ant-Man 3, but he was in Ant-Man 1 and 2. Okay. I don't think of him as an actor. Axe is a Chinese rapper named MC Jin. The Marshall is a Latin singer, Diego Boneda. It feels like they looked at people that wouldn't cost a lot to put into a movie but already had some kind of cultural awareness. Like, they, like there would be people excited to see them, and so they could get a lot of bang for their buck. The one I knew was Steeler, because he, I think, got hired because he was in Mad Max Fury Road, and this movie wishes it was Mad Max Fury Road. He was also Striker in a couple of X-Men movies. Yeah. You know, whenever you get a team of Marines like this, it always just feels like... Every movie that does this is just aping off of aliens. It's like we've got this ragtag mix of people that come from all walks of life. And it just seems like shorthand at this point for it's like, oh, it's a team that loves each other, their family, despite their differences. See, I went one degree to the left of you, Justin. I didn't think aliens. I thought Predator. And the way each of these people were specialized and the way one's looking off into the distance and sweating, I'm like, this is going to be... a ensemble film all of these people are going to be fighting monsters and we're going to lose one here one there along the way no they're all going to die like in five minutes yeah it surprises me to say that that you say that this game is a collaborative game where many people can take down one monster because it feels like they can't wait to get Mila by herself. Why hire these people at all? That's what I'm like. I'm like, why do I know these people? Why are these actors in other films I've seen and singers I know and you just brought them in for what? Two days? Three days of shooting? (laughs) Maybe a week. Maybe that's what we could be staring at the obvious. Yes, they're available, but they're only available for a little amount of time. And so they're not willing to spend four months in the desert. In South Africa? Yeah. That's where this was filmed. (laughs) Or the opposite. It's contractual. They got signed to a three-picture deal at some point. It's like, oh, well, let's kill one of those now. (laughs) It just seems to me like you would... The best thing that this movie could do is create some camaraderie. If it's just a generic movie about monsters coming out of the ground, you really want to like those hunters, right? It's really important that we get a sense of their 
community. And the fact that, yeah, we barely have any time with them before they're dead is a puzzling choice. It's not a mistake that Anderson usually makes. I mean, there are usually many multiple characters that run through those Resident Evil movies precisely because he knows his wife is not capable of single-handedly carrying the film. I don't know if that's the reason, but okay. (laughs) It's a lightning storm that transports them to this other world, and there's these weird pillars with weird lettering on them, and the lettering is taken from the game, but that teleports them either to a shift in our reality or a new dimension or a new planet or what have you, and... Yeah, like Justin said, this opening takes a while before you actually get to the monsters. It's going to be about 20 minutes. Is it that long? Yeah, they start driving around this new area. Somehow they don't see this giant Flintstone ribcage until they're like inches from it. And then they're like, oh my God, we've never seen a dinosaur this big. You could have seen that, I think, a mile away. <laughs> well, you need good buildup. I mean, I definitely feel like if this were a horror movie, and I'm not sure if it's designed to be, but let's pretend that it was. If you were thinking this was another Resident Evil movie, then okay, we, we meet the team that they're looking for and they're all charred. That's the first thing. They're all burned to a crisp and it was so hot that like the sand melted into glass and what could have produced that much heat so we know that we're going to be dealing with something with a fire breath and then yeah they they drive through a giant rib cage that's bigger than any dinosaur that ever walked the earth and then tony jaw is there firing uh, an arrow at them I think to warn them that they're driving onto sand that will trigger the creatures below, but uh, they take it as a hostile act and start firing at him. Yeah, which which just starts an infuriating cycle of them fighting with him. Eventually just Artemis fighting with him. You'll have to explain to me what his relationship... I thought he was trying to help them by firing that arrow, but throughout this... People betray and then befriend each other in puzzling, almost clinically diagnosable psychosis <laughs> ways. Like, I, what that is not how people that are healthy and normal communicate to one another. I don't, I don't know what's going on a lot in this movie. I think he is warning them. I think you're right about that. And they don't take the warning until the Diablo shows up and kills a couple of them. And I want to say, again, the, the best thing this movie has going for it, some delightful visuals. I We've seen many a sandworm. We just did a whole Tremor series. We've watched Dune, Beetlejuice. There's something kind of joyous about bullhorns. The fact that they're actually Diablos, and I think about, like, bullfighting, like, it almost works like a Jaws shark fin, that all we really see for a while are these bullhorns coming out of the sand, knocking them over, like like they're charging bulls. That, that was a fun image. I, I actually wish they had concealed the monster for a little bit longer, and we had some more suspense pieces with just, like, horns in the sand. I think that that was just fun in of itself. When did it become clear to you guys that there there was only one of that type of creature. I thought the sand was just teeming with them. I think it is. I pretty much guessed from the beginning that it was just the one. We only see the one, and when they're running from it, you know, they try to get on the bones. It was a very Tremors moment, and I'm thinking, okay, the, yeah, there's just the one here right now. I thought I saw two chasing the ship. 
But maybe not. I, again, my presumption is this is a movie where there are monsters everywhere. I bring it up because there there are just tons of the spider creatures, but that's taken care of by showing that they can't go into the sunlight. But mm. the sand is another thing. You know, going into the sand, it's fraught with these monsters that you can't see under the surface. But until they actually go out there and kill the one, and then they just kind of relax, like, ah, mission over. It's like, oh, okay, so there's just one, apparently. Yeah, I, hmm, what are we thinking that is? $60 million budget only buys one one Diablos? I don't know that that's the problem. I want to say this much. The monster looks good. Mm -hmm. I think that the detail on it and everything, I never question if it's actually in the same frame as the people. I think it's got a lot of detail to it. You know, I rip on special effects a lot. I think all the monsters in here look pretty realistic. An upgrade to a Graboid, for sure. It does fulfill all my needs for a B-picture. Uh, like I said, JoJo Studios, Godzilla. I like all the all the monsters here. There's not enough of them. But yes, I do like the designs and they're, they're plausible. So I think they could have put more in if they wanted to, but this thing is such a badass creature. If you had more than one, how could you possibly explain anyone survive? True. I just, my thought was, is that the sand was no man's land because it was just teeming with these creatures. And it wasn't clear to me that just defeating that one would give them safe passage to where they needed to go. In, in a movie called Monster Hunter, I assumed there'd be many monsters to fight along the way. It's not Monsters Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I different styles of monsters or just a genuinely escalating sense of danger. Like, you know, out of frying pan into fire is usually how you want to do these things. So that in defeating one monster, it just puts them into a hole where they're faced with something even worse. And what's sort of... Uh, disappointing about the film is that it's sort of segmented in like okay there's the sand monster there's the crab monster and there's the flying guy at the end don't forget the cows there are the cows in here are there yeah oh the all oh, those oh like the stegosaurus looking ones yeah all oh, the plant eaters okay those are the things you killed yeah you ought to be ashamed. Uh -huh. That's awful. You really should. That's just awful. I just hacked my hell out I'm going to have them. to have you turn in your gamer card. I know. I'm going to call PETA. Like, this. this is just awful. At any rate, what I'm getting at is, if we thought that this was going to be a monster mash where so much flurry and attention and, and every scene a delightful new invention, I feel like there's a sparsity of ideas. It feels like there's not a lot going on in this movie. But... Yeah, this team, this wonderful team that seems to, like, be good enough for this kind of movie. I mean, they could definitely be in a Anaconda reboot. Why not keep them around for a while, pick them off one by one? I mean, it could be seen as raising the stakes, you know? I mean, to see that, you know, characters are disposable and these monsters are for real. But we spent a little too much time with them up top for them to all just die immediately like this. I, I like Arnie's idea of, like, all of them slowly getting picked off, especially for how long this beginning part lasts until it is just her and the, the native. Well, if they wanted to be brave, they could live up to what they tried to tell us, which is that she's the first to go. Like, of all of the team, like, she'll get knocked out and they'll be... I mean, imagine what what we would be thinking about this movie and its risk-taking if the biggest star in the film and the wife of the director is the first one taken out. But, no. I wasn't thinking they were going to be that brave. They are not that brave. 
I actually do not know why she survives and everyone else dies. I played it through in my mind. She seemed to have been bitten by the same creature that infects others with egg sacs. Why is she alive? They all go into a cave and get attacked by crabs, and all of them are dead and strung up upside down, like in sticky black cocoons or with like spiders in them. But not Mila. No, not Artemis. She's fine. Yeah, I don't understand exactly, but I knew she was the star. She is the first one out and running ahead of the others. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't see her bitten. No, she's stung. She's literally picked up while she's giving her big, ferocious, we're gotta keep fighting speech and stung. I rewound it because I was so confused. And yeah, like, why not be Janet Lee? Why not be Drew Barrymore? Just kill her off right here. Imagine how shocked we would be if suddenly T.I. had to be the star of this movie. Uh, instead, she seems to suffer the same fate they all do, and yet somehow it doesn't leave her impregnated or dead. And uh, it just begins a whole series of inconsistencies and unexplained phenomena. Yeah, I mean, I guess what we're saying is, is that nowhere in the movie... Is it insinuated that she has any special powers or any special skills outside of being some sort of marine that would make her the one to survive? It's just, Arnie mentioned luck, but even that, it's not even luck. It's just because the movie dictates that she's the main character. Did they not do to her what they did to every other person who was dead and hanging upside down? Yeah, and first. You know, she was the first one attacked. Okay, but she lives, and that's fine, because we got to have some kind of movie. And so, what passes for a backstory is that she has this ring in a box. She has this little tin with a ring that's engraved forever, and she whispers something about, I'm going to get home to you, and we never find out anything. Is that the one ring? Is that the one Frodo threw into the lava? Because there's some writing on the inside and there's no mention of any loved one that she would be going home to. Well, that's what I mean. Like, normally that would be, we would flash back to her life. You would ex- you would open up this movie. You would create an expectation. You would build the suspense of, am I going to get home by seeing what's awaiting her or, or something, you know, cut back to them in the same spot as her. If it's two alternate realities in the same space, like you just, there's things you could do to flesh this out. Even in the movie that they've written out before us, like, why not have her special other person be somebody that was in that original team that disappeared right she's looking for her husband yeah or something well you guys have both brought up tropes from other movies in this type of genre that would have been fine ways to go you know a a jaws type of sequence the whole movie doesn't have to be jaws but you know kind of give it that feel for a while and then move on into more of a predator type of thing but what we get is 45 minutes of two people that don't speak the same language who go back and forth from kicking each other's ass while trying not to get eaten by spiders. And Hunter also has a family and now carves figurines of them, but they're probably dead or something. <laughs> like, is this really backstory? Like, is this Anderson's idea of like, well, that's a character, sure. Is story the point or is action the point? I do think story must be the point if the game has none. You must find one to tell if there's nothing in the game to create that. See, and that's why I thought maybe story wasn't the point for Anderson. He was trying to make a movie like the game. You have a quest, but you don't really have character. You don't really have plot or arc. You have survival and hunting. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Let's. That is what we are presented with. So whether it's what they wanted or not, it, it's not what I wanted, particularly with these two. But what you're hinging everything on is that we're going to be rooting for Mila and Tony Ja to put aside their differences and fight the creatures that we've seen. Now, Justin, you talked about how long it takes with the crew, and it is a half an hour before the crew gets completely knocked off. But man, this time with the Hunter and Artemis is really where I feel the movie has some trouble with pacing, because there's no talking. They fight... Were they paid by the word? I mean, I literally <laughs> believe that like you get paid a thousand dollars a word. She thought, yay, and it's like, nope, that's you just get three thousand bucks. <laughs> I mean, he's fighting her, but doesn't want to kill her. He tried to save her life against the Diablos earlier, and then she wins him over with a chocolate bar, kind of like chunk and sloth. <laughs> there is some product placement here. Like they drive over a Coke can earlier. I definitely feel like gotta pay the bills. Love that Hershey's. <laughs> but th- this this part of the movie slows to a snail's pace. I mean, it is it is so slow, and I think they think they're saving it by throwing in these fight sequences where every five minutes they're getting into a fight again once Artemis is tied up and she gets out and she ties him up and vice versa, and they're kicking water out of each other's hands and all the meantime, like, fighting off spiders slightly. Like, that becomes kind of a secondary problem. And then they start training together. It just, it slows the movie down so much, and it feels like the big chunk of this runtime is in this really boring middle part it's more like castaway and i i guess if this movie wanted to be minimalist it really puts a lot on us liking the chemistry of these actors and you need to have some one-liners or you need to have them have some kind of prejudice that they're going to get over or just somewhere for them to go I, i don't know why they're always picking on each other but if we wanted fighting we wanted them fighting monsters I don't believe that Mila <laughs> could take down Tony Jaw. No. Like that's the, all of these quick editing scenes with her. I I don't know what they're getting at. Yeah, the movie and the game are called Monster Hunter, not Vocabulary Hunter. Right. Speaking of which, my ignorance, but RLTW is tattooed on her neck, and like many things here, never gets an explanation. Any idea what that means? Rangers lead the way, U.S. Army Ranger motto. Oh, okay. Thank you, Google. All right. (laughs) But yeah, they try to establish that she's a ranger and he's a hunter. This is what's passing for character. I just want people to understand. It's not passing. It's what they're putting out there for character. It's not passing for character. Yeah, that's it. This is is your character. You're a ranger. The end. That is... Mm. He didn't think any further than the game, which is, you know, a problem here. I would consider Monster Hunter a rife way to build a story because you're not locked into any icons. You aren't forced to bring in this character or follow this plot. You could do anything you wanted with this. You could have a team of hunters and going on and upgrading their armor as they continue on missions and have a good action film. Instead, this is what you get. And get right. Is it a limitation that he couldn't do more with monsters? Or is it this is what he thought was interesting? But I mean, they don't speak. They don't form some kind of fledgling nonverbal attraction. We just have the physicality. And yeah, Tony Ja could wipe the floor with her. He's flipping all over the place and doing everything. And she's left. What is she the comic relief? 
because she can talk and every so often says something wry. The running joke is that she becomes his bait. He always has the idea of luring the monsters into a trap. And she willingly or unwillingly is the one singing the army song when the crab comes. Or later, she's walking up to the lake when the creature is going to fly out. And and he's going to use that. Again, if he's the martial artist, you lead with him. I get that maybe he's not going to have the English language skills to give great monologues. But I would just, again, a dumb action movie with a martial arts star, just have him doing a lot more with that. I saw the behind-the-scenes interview. You can't have him. English is not his language. I'm not saying it's not his first language. I don't think he speaks at all, almost at all. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen movies where when they brought a lot of the people over from Hong Kong, that was a big problem in those 90s movies. Again, show what they're good at or don't use them at all. Don't bring in Tony Jaa if you don't have like a good way of, of using his dexterity but even taking what they're giving us on screen i knew at this point of the movie this is when we were in trouble but up till now i mean it was action-packed to a certain degree the acting wasn't great mm-hmm. the special effects have been passable yeah there you go but when we get to this part and it slows down i realize oh they don't have a story to tell this is just filling time because the, even if this is the conceit of your story this could have been five ten minutes it could have been a montage we get yeah. the idea It did not need to be a half hour of this movie. How long does she spend with him working out this truce and then being trained to use giant swords of which she would have zero leverage? I mean, the point of balance on that thing. No, but they do look fun. I mean, like, I would want one. I don't imagine I would be very successful at wielding one, but it does look like something you'd want to try out. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a video game weapon. I mean, we've seen video game weapons where the sword is way bigger than the character, yet they swing it like it's nothing. The idea is that they need to kill the crab to get the poison, to kill the sand monster, so that then they can go to the weapons thing and get shoot more things, so that they can get to the tower in the distance that conducts lightning. Because that's presumably how you pass in between the two worlds. Which he knows, but yet has never done i don't quite understand the rules of this alt world whatever we're calling it yeah the rules are you don't ask don't ask don't tell we're not sure if this is his world or he got transported here and that's i don't think that's a question that's ever answered Uh, he has a family somewhere that he misses and carves figurines and that's it that's all he's got And so, again, like even the most rudimentary action movie uses tropes and cliche to fill in these blanks, to leave it blank. It's beyond minimalist. It's it's incomplete. This is not a finished work. So they finally killed Diablos and the hunter is injured and she drags him across the desert. That's, I guess, she's strong enough to do that and the desert isn't so hot that they have to stay out of the sun. It doesn't really follow any kind of desert rule. But then they get to a green area. They find some water. An oasis, a little yeah, nook where they can marvel at the stegosauruses or whatever they are. And at this point in the movie, we've spent so much time in this monochromatic film, if I can call it that, which I shouldn't, in this digital movie where nothing but white and browns, to see all this green and blue out of nowhere is visually shocking and it literally feels like a completely different movie at this point. 
We don't stay here that long either. We really don't. Normally, like, we're real close to the end. This movie's got maybe 25 minutes left. <laughs> like, what's the climax? We're going to the tower. But here they get in some trouble because these stegosauruses start to stampede when the flying creatures show up. Rathalos. And this is where we're reminded that Ron Perlman was, in fact, at the beginning of this movie. Because I had I'd completely forgot by this point. It's like, oh yeah, Ron Perlman is in this. Okay, great. So I wasn't falling asleep and having a fever dream. This is the same same movie that I started. I was very excited at the prospect of a character coming in and monologuing, filling in all the details. Like, oh, he'll be the one to explain, we had a ship, we were going to do this, this is what's going on, this is what you need to do. <laughs> he punches her and throws her in a cage, and we never get an explanation. <laughs> Do you think it was in his contract that like he'd either wear the wig and speak English or he would not wear the wig and do the nonsense language? I don't know, but I love the wig. It's great. It's a golden like little Lord Falteroy kind of outfit that just you don't see on too many men these days. That's just what a wig. It hugs his entire face and oh yeah, it's sideburns and all when he showed up marjorie was watching this with me and she goes ron perlman will do anything and i said um i think it's ron perlman needs to work so help me out arnie there is not a cat cook there's not some kind of sleepwalker in the game oh well well i didn't say that there are palicos absolutely there are palicos they are talking cat creatures that aid you on your way and sometimes go with you and fight with you. This one, his name is Mouster Chef. Oh, okay. He's a he's a punning <laughs> punning comic wit. <laughs> but but normally they do more than cook. Normally they help you with quests or they go with you as a sidekick and help you fight. Right. And like Stuart mentioned, we were almost at the end of this movie and to introduce talking anamorphic cats at this point it just feels like it's a different movie like if this is going to be the world we're in these people need to be introduced and integral to the story way earlier on do you think this is why cats don't really get affectionate with humans like dogs like when they're asleep which is most of the time they're in this alternate reality they can see their palicos and they're hunting and they're fighting and they're talking <laughs> and then they wake up and they're like oh shit i have to go shit in a box now <laughs> maybe i don't know the secret <laughs> life of cats I, the cat is a non-factor here i'm wondering about the human beings what do they want like all of a sudden they're like we need to head out where you want to go to the tower too why do you want to go to the tower who are you what happened to your <laughs> ship what's going on no one says shit and these are english speakers i I believe Pearlman does say that if she helps defeat the dragon, he will help her get back to her world. So at least there is that spoken agreement to why they're all going there together. So he's just a monster hunter. And they're hunters. The game is monster hunter. They are hunters. They are out there to kill monsters. Yes, when they're not beating on women that are thanking them for their help. Like, again, it's such a strange meat cute that I, <laughs> I just don't know... Why she would want to be involved with them. Like, she doesn't need help finding the damn thing. It's the only structure on the horizon. Head towards the big tower of lightning. Like, there's nothing else around it. Like, you can get there. I don't think she could get there. What if there was another Diablo Sunder there? And there are monsters at the tower that she would need help to fight. She hasn't actually proven herself very useful. Other than grabbing a scale off the creature and dragging the hunter with it. 
Neither have they, but I, I get your point. There's safety in number. Well, yeah, I mean, they've already wasted so much time back at the cave that they're just, they're rushing to a conclusion at this point. You know, we leave the oasis, we're on the ship for a few minutes, and then before you know it, we're standing at the base of this tower in the middle of the storm. And we finally see this dragon directly out of Game of Thrones. Yeah, the least exciting of the monsters. I felt like they've gotten less interesting as we've gone along. They started strong with the Diablos, and then we've had the crabs, and then the Stegosauruses. I'm like, a dragon? Really? Yawn. Yeah, a Rathalos. And now we know what finally turned sand to glass. Uh-huh. Mystery solved. Wasn't this the end of, like, Resident Evil 6 when the dragons were attacking the White House? I wondered if they were reusing some CGI models. I don't remember that film very well, but I think you might be onto something. I will give them this. They did drop a line in there that made it feel like a video game movie. You know, they talked about the weakness and how to defeat this seemingly overpowered creature. So I can appreciate stuff like that, but that's a line that you might hear directly in a game. It's like you start fighting this thing, and an NPC somewhere is like, right before they breathe fire, they're the weakest. It's like, okay, now I know how to beat this thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, I can appreciate that, but that's the only time this felt like a video game at all during this entire runtime yeah and it told me something i didn't know that might have helped me get better at the game too nice so of course she's going to get back and of course she's going to bring the rathalos with her they've got to have that real world meeting the fantasy world moment it looks so much the same i barely knew she was back on earth frustrating yes She's just in a desert. It's not like she's with people. It's not like there's any danger if this Rathalos flew around for 100 miles in a radius. I agree. Eventually, if it never needed a drink, it might make it to... I don't know. We don't even know what continent they're on. (laughs) They're in a desert. I'm I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. Visually, that's one of the biggest mistakes this movie makes. There's no sign of any type of civilization in either of the dimensions we're in. We don't see what, what a civilization in this alternate dimension might look like you know huts and shacks or whatever we don't see any city stuff in the real world it's all just in the desert god help me uva bowl did better within the name of the king three with the dragon in london but let's clarify that it's not a better movie but he did recognize that you want to give some kind of dramatic irony or something like yeah like for it to go to one world to the other world you want that to be a big moment to go from one desert to another desert to kill more nameless people that's nothing like i don't care which side you're on it just feels like where was the script Why didn't he feel the need to say where they even were? Like, or what the mission was? There's so little to this. I'm kind of stunned. It really did feel like filming was cut short due to COVID, which is why I looked up the filming dates. Mm -hmm. It really did feel like something got pulled and I couldn't explain it. No, they filmed this in 2018. This is what they had. It's not much. And then the reason she decides to go back to the demon realm is not much either. She's going to stand on the other side as a sentinel so no monster can cross through. Guess what? She didn't kill the Rathalos. The hunter did. She has not done anything of use. She is going to be a hindrance to anyone she's with. (laughs) Or any movie she stars in. She finished off the Diablos, but like, even in the story that they're writing, just make it so when she gets back, she finds out that the reason she was trying to get back, her husband or whoever it is she loved, is gone. He died. And maybe he was on that plane. 
now she has a reason to go back and at least fight for something. It's all nothing. Yeah, maybe the ring was of one of the troops who's missing. That would be nice to know. Yeah. Maybe it's a Rathalo. She got home. Hi, honey. Rawr! I don't know. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> we could we could play it all day. The fact of the matter is nobody even thought that it was their job to come up with an answer. I'm not even going to try. All right. Well, let's not try any further. Justin Stewart, do you recommend Monster Hunter the movie? Justin. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, if you're the person who is a fan of the game and are interested in this, I'm sure somewhere on YouTube there's two or three clips of a few decent-looking special effects from this movie, and that's all it really has to offer. I mean, the spider monsters were cool-looking. I thought that was somewhat fun. The Diablos was cool-looking. The dragon was blah. But in between all of that stuff, there's just a whole bunch of nothing. And there's no charm. There's no characters to get involved with. It's just, it's it's a it's a slow-paced action movie that takes way too much time in the middle that then races to an end that you don't care about. So, yeah, there's, re- there's really nothing here to recommend. If you're interested in the special effects, you can watch clips and leave it at that. So, not recommend for my end. Stuart. I actually think this movie succeeds on its most fundamental mission, and that is it made it look like the game was fun. I, having never seen it and never played it, could imagine having a good time bringing down various kaiju beasties with giant axes and grappling hooks. But first you have to farm and kill a cow. Well, see, and now that you've told me more about the game, like, even that has been take- robbed from me. But I'm like, if this were just a next-level fighting game, the next thing after Mortal Kombat is you fight these kinds of things, I could go with that. But, yeah, Anderson needed to find a story in the gameplay, and it's not here. I'm not even sure that he wanted to. Do. Like, he just didn't think that that was his job. He wanted to honor gameplay and ask nothing of, of the character's I'm not looking for high art here. I'm not looking for a Paul Thomas Anderson, the other one. Like, I mean, no monologues needed, no metaphors needed, no stellar acting needed. All they had to do was do a good Resident Evil sequel with Godzillas instead of zombies, right? That's all they had to do. But man, I mean, Mia is not as compelling as she was in that franchise. She doesn't have the backstory. She doesn't have the mystery. She has zero chemistry with Tony Jaa. And when those two are trying to do the dramatic lifting, you can just feel the whole thing sinking at that point. Like it it went from kind of dumb fun to just like some kind of empty exercise. And there's no standouts in the supporting cast. Sometimes you can like see a guy in the background and go, well, I like that guy. He's got personality. But yeah, Ron Perlman in a Trump wig is nothing I want to watch either. Like, I, I dare call this a movie. I, I, It almost feels to me like this is what they call a sizzle reel or a demo reel. Like, something you put together to convince potential investors that, hey, we can do the special effects. Come fund the rest of this movie. And I would. I would pony up to see the rest of this movie. It looks like they have the beginnings of a fun B-movie here. But demand to see the script. Like, if they had done that, they would have known that this is nothing you want to put your your money in. Why are they hunting monsters? Why are they driving a ship around a desert? What's at the tower 
with all the lightning. Even if you wanted to turn off your brain, you'll also want to turn off your stomach because there's simply not enough popcorn here to fill you up. It is a not recommend. People, for reasons I don't understand, flock to Twitch and YouTube to watch other people play videos. Justin, you've mentioned it before. It's something your kids like to do. They don't, they'd rather watch someone play the game than play the game. And that's what I feel this is like appealing to. If this was on YouTube, mm. would people enjoy it? Because it's like a long play video of the game. There's no character, there's no plot, but there's some good graphics as they throw flaming bursts out of swords. I do think people like PewDiePie, though, or, or you know, whoever's playing the game. You gotta, you can't just sit there and play it. You gotta have a personality, right? Like, they're there. No, no. There are many videos with no narration. It's just playing the game. Really? Wow. Okay, well, then I'm at a loss. I could imagine having fun watching someone get into playing a game, but if you're not seeing the personal reaction... No. You're just telling me, yeah, basically this is just a walkthrough, a really expensive walkthrough of a game. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But that's all it has to offer. I mean, honestly, there's nothing... This movie is completely competent. It has a score that is going into my rotation as music to listen to during my day job. It has good special effects. It has decent action, but it does have no character and no purpose. And, you know, I don't know if you guys stayed for the credits. There's a mid-credits scene that teases some guy in a dark cloak for a sequel that I can't imagine will happen because if you're teasing, like, an Emperor character, you need to have a plot where the Emperor would make sense. Here... I can say the games are probably great if you're that type of gamer, and I'm just not that type of gamer, but this movie's going to suck for everybody. It's a not recommend. Yeah, I'm going to second that. Like, I, I get that some people want to turn off their brain, and they, they're like, I don't want to be challenged. I just want dumb fun. But they're going to want more than this. I mean, just anybody would want more than what this movie has to offer, even though I can recognize what is here in its fundamentals. I think they could make a good movie out of this. I think that if you gave them $40 more million and let them go out to the desert to film a script, to fill in the details, this could have been dumb fun. I could have seen myself recommending this if they had worked harder. There was a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, MMORPG, called Star Wars Galaxies. And in one of those games, there's not really stories. Every so often there's missions, but you're building up your attributes, you're hunting. You know, I had to kill like a thousand womp rats in order to level up, and you're just doing all of this stuff and gathering money and doing all of that, right? And there's, there's no story, it's just living in the Star Wars world. But to tie into that, they released a novel <laughs> based in that world. Okay. And the novel, I thought, was actually a really good read. I was big into that game. I, I mean, actually, it wasn't very fun, but I, I was a Star Wars fan, addict, and just played the hell out of it for hundreds of hours. But when I read the book, the book created a new character, as you would. And this character was given a mission by the Rebellion to travel across the land and take a message. And, you know, kind of like the postman, I guess. And there was some other stuff with it. He interacted with Princess Leia for a little bit. But, yeah, he went out and did what your character does. He set up camp. He found some creatures that he had to fight. He had to use health packs. I mean, everything you did in the game, this guy did at some point. 
but it was all in service of story. It was almost like they had a story and looked at what the game did and fit it. Again, you have an open world here to create a story and just include some tropes from a game. You can make anything and you're tying it in. You have carte blanche and he did nothing with it. This is such a letdown. Yeah, it seems like the biggest mistake is they let him write the script. I I probably, again, could have enjoyed his direction. He seems to have got the the technical, the visuals. And, you know, I I dog on Mia and all of that. But even with this cast, they were all okay enough. They could have made it work, but this not with this script or the lack of of the script. You can't make anything out of this. It's a it's a game demo. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say disappointment because that would you know entail that I had some expectations coming in and some hopes coming in. But it, it, it's sad to see that they had nearly everything in place to make a decent movie. Yeah, and the place that they stumbled was in the easiest part, which is just writing a story. Yeah, it would have been real easy to close these loops. Almost anybody could have done it. And I don't know why they didn't try. That's what it feels like. They didn't even try to do it. And I want to just tack on to what Justin said. I'm not saying writing a story is easy, but you could have at least put a cliche story here. You could have put tropes in here. You could have just, like you said, copied aliens, something. You could have done it. And here, yeah, they didn't even try to be unoriginal with a story. They just decided story. Maybe it's avant-garde, you know? Maybe it's new wave cinema. Story is unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah, I am wondering if if, if that's generational. We care about something that's dying out, and people are like, no, I'm fine watching a game demo. Is it? Does it look cool? Well, it does look cool. Maybe that is enough for you. But I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that anyone, fan of the game or not, would say that this was an enjoyable experience. But I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see if they can come up with money for a sequel or completion funds. Yeah, Anderson did say on the meager bonus features, as a quick aside, is all of this movie's coming direct to video just means the end of bonus features? It was basically an electronic press kit on this disc. I was so disappointed. But Mm. he did say that he's hopeful for a sequel. Um, Again, COVID box offices are so hard to judge, but I got a feeling if this sat on a shelf for two years and then made half its budget back worldwide, we're going to not be seeing Monster Hunter 2 with Mia, with Mila. Yeah, agreed. In the meantime, uh, another one of his franchises is getting rebooted. The, the, the first of two this year. Next week, we're going to go back to Mortal Kombat uh, with a new directorial vision and R-rated violence at last. Yeah, that game has only gotten more violent. I've been playing some Mortal Kombat 11 lately. It is literally bone crunching. Yeah, I mean, that's a franchise that knows where their bread is buttered, you know? They, they know that the fatality is the thing that makes them special, and they keep upping it in the games. So, hey, I'm interested to see what they've done in film over these years. Can it be better than Anderson's? High bar. I mean, I'm going to vote yes without having seen it. <laughs> it's premiering on HBO Max this week. We'll review it next Tuesday. I'm going to just throw down and say whether I like it or not, it's better than that film. Well, we will find out next week. But this Friday, instead of Mortal Kombat, we have Deadpool. Not Ryan Reynolds, Dirty Harry's The Deadpool. It will be the final film in our Silver Level series, and I hope you can join us for that. Details can be found at the donation page at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Justin Stewart... Thank you for joining me, and until next week, game over.
tracks end here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. What the hell just happened? We hope you've enjoyed the show. It's good, right? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Enjoying the show. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Something you gotta see. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Got us back in business. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Oh my god. Thank you so much. Oh my god. Oh. 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 You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. You got it! Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. We need to get moving. Move out! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. We do what we do best. We fight and we survive. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. This shit is officially above my pay grade. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Here. We came to help. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. You just gotta work through it. Come on, let's move. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I still don't understand you, man. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Set that shit up right now, soldier. And that's an order. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You're all crazy! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. It's just a little further. Let's go. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. No, but you have a Mila Jovovich.
And I think the thing that I knew coming into this was that it was her post-Resident Evil, reteaming with her ex-husband, trying to stick... Ex-husband? They divorced? I thought so. I think they're still together. I think they're together. First of all, they're working together. Second, she said my husband on the... uh, Yeah, they're still married. They didn't break apart for a while? I don't know if they separated, but they are not divorced. I thought after The Messenger, like, something went bad there. They watched their movies. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was just purely a working relationship. I did not realize. Okay, I'll just rephrase it. No, he he put a ring on it, and it has not been taken off. Okay. Maybe that's the fucking ring that's in this box that she keeps crying (laughs) over. (laughs) 